reading the chapter and then asking God's blessing on his word. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understood standing of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this, this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you have set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none except there is none who contends by my side except these, except Michael, your prince. Lord, as we've read words written 2,500 years ago to a servant 
in a place a long time ago who was in deep distress, missing his homeland. Would you impress us too that you are with us today, for you have sent us your Son. We pray this in his name. Amen. What pictures come to your mind when you think of angels? What kind of mental pictures do you have? What pops into your mind? You have the, um, the precious moment angels, you know, the kind of little and kid-like. Maybe, maybe if you're a little bit older, you've seen Disney's Fantasia and the little cherub, almost baby angels that, that kind of fly around and flutter around, very cuddly and cute. I thought about um, just the angels that we have in our house. We have... We had one that we put on the tree for a while. We haven't used that recently. We've put a star instead, which Sammy really likes. But we also have um, an... Yes, army. Um, we also have a harp that the angel, one angel plays that we put up on our piano. And do you have the picture of that, Paul? And there, there it is. I don't know if it shows up real well. But, but you can see there she is. She's the least female looking, playing a harp, has very nice wings, and there's a, there's a cute little cherubim. Right there, and so we like the we like it, and it's, just, it's one of the things that we put on our piano. You can that, that's good enough, Paul. Uh, but every year when I put it up and I set this angel up, I think the angels must be really chuckling right now. Because <laughs> if you look at what Daniel said, doesn't quite meet the description, right? You see, instead of being cute and cuddly, angels are mighty messengers. They are warriors that do God's bidding. And the normal human reaction to angels isn't, aw, isn't that cute? It's trembling awe, A-W-E. It's fear and wonder and amazement. Now, I don't know how much you think of angels or if you think about them much throughout the year. You, you, can, you can kind of go to two extremes, can't you? You can, almost, you can be almost non-existent in your, your thinking about the spiritual world and they kind of play this quick cameo row for Christmas. Or they could be these incredible beings that you can get kind of wrapped up in and even draw your worship and wonder away from the God they serve. But in reality, you should have a healthy respect for angels because we understand something of the glorious power of God and and they are part of God's servants. Angels are big and glorious not because they're incredible in themselves but because they serve an incredible, glorious master and they reflect his glory. And in fact, in this case, the servants say something about the master. This is how incredible they are. What does it say about the one whom they serve? And you can learn a little bit about angels from Daniel 10, and it really tells you what a momentous coming Jesus' birth truly was. Because despite the humble beginnings of the manger, if you look at the angels, you see that Jesus truly was the Lord of glory. And so today the idea is to follow the angels to the manger. Follow the angels to the manger. First, we're going to look at Daniel 10 and a few other passages and see what we can learn about angels and then see what it can tell us about the Lord that they serve. So just who are angels? Well, angels are glorious servants who do the will of the Lord. Right? They do his mission. And it's important to remember that they are servants. In fact, the names, angels, the Old Testament is Malak. Uh, the New Testament Greek is Angelos, from what we get angels. Um, Malak, you might recognize that in Malachi, the last book of 
The Old Testament simply means my messenger. So you can tell from that that uh, an angel could be a person in the sense that they're a messenger, but usually it's an angelic being and context usually makes it clear. Angels are glorious servants who do the Lord's work. And here they are sent to Daniel. And at this point in Daniel's life, he is quite old. He is probably 80 years old, having spent 60 plus, maybe 70 years in a foreign land in exile. Almost certainly this is past the time and trial of the lion's den when the Lord has delivered him from that trial. And at this point, God's promise to Jeremiah about people returning home from exile after the 70 years, 70 weeks are coming true. 70 years have happened. The exiles, some of them are returning home to Jerusalem. Uh, For whatever reason, Daniel stays in Babylon. It might be his old age. It might be that he wasn't allowed to go home because of his responsibilities. Maybe this is just, he said, it's a long trip. It's two to three months. It's dangerous. I can do the best for my people here. But it may be that the people are already starting to experience opposition to their return. And he's hearing reports of that and he's troubled. And that may be why he is praying. And so he prays and fasts for three weeks. And after three weeks of fasting and prayer, God sends a messenger to Daniel to pull back the curtains and show the spiritual realities of what is going on. Now, by the way, it doesn't mention an angel by name here for the messenger. We hear about Michael, the archangel, a little later. It's very possible it's Gabriel. Gabriel is often the one who announces things, did to Mary, uh, did to Zechariah. You know, I might unconsciously say Gabriel, even though it doesn't say it here. That's, that's what I think it is. And so he sends this messenger to tell Daniel, and this messenger says, I was held up for 21 days by the prince of Persia. Now that brings up another question. Who is this prince of Persia? It's very unlikely that it was a human prince who was somehow able to lock into battle with this angel and keep it caught trapped for 21 days. Rather, He's talking about a spiritual battle that is going on, that there are angelic beings that represent or even work for or with certain nations, certain peoples that oppress God's people. Right? This is what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2 or 6, where he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, against the Presence over the present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There are angelic beings that, that fight against, that go against God's word. And John gives a picture of this in Revelation 12, where he talks about there's war in heaven with Michael, the archangel, and the dragon and his angels. And they fight, and the dragon is defeated, and it says, he says in chapter 12, verse 9, the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, and the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And the Bible doesn't say too much, but there are hints that uh, behind evil people, evil powers and forces in this world, are evil angels that oppose God's will. Now, we shouldn't read too much into this. You can read certain books on spiritual warfare that, while being good and encourage you to pray, would make you think that the devil is almost behind every single movement and you can become over-obsessed. But you can clearly see there's a battle going on. 
And there's angels who do the Lord's will, who, who lock in battle with these angelic forces that are on the side of the devil. Well, what's the first impression that this angel who comes to Daniel makes? It's glory. It's a glorious being. Look back at verse 5. The description of this man. He's clothed in linen. That's a priestly figure. Clothed in a linen robe with a belt of fine gold around his waist. His, his body is like barrel. It shines like a jewel. His face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. And, and so on. You might think that if you were to see an angel as it really was, you'd say, ah, you know, that's kind of impressive. You'd take out your phone, take a couple pictures, say, hey, Gabe, you know, can we do a selfie? What do you see happening here? Daniel sees the messenger. He stops in his tracks. It's kind of like Paul where he saw that vision from Jesus and no one else heard him, but they, they sensed the presence. Everyone else flees. And everything else seems dim. He becomes weak. His face is pale. Literally, the Hebrew, when it talks about his color changes, my splendor was changed to ruin. Probably talking about the color of his face, but there's this kind of this idea that everything that was glorious about me pales in comparison with this being who now stands in front of me. He is impressive. When the angel speaks, the force of his voice presses Daniel down into a deep sleep. As one commentator said, the angel needs to provide angelic first aid. He needs to give him strength just so that he can get up and stand in his presence. And he has to do this quite a bit more. First impressions of angels, unless they hide some of their glory, it's just that. It's stunning weight. Just stop and think for a minute what, what this means about the spiritual realities of our own lives. But if angels are this glorious, what does it say about God, who is glorious, who made all things, right? who, who gives us the ability to breathe right this moment? It's so easy to go throughout the day and, and lose the sense of bigness and greatness and grandeur of who God was. Yesterday morning when I was writing most of this sermon, I, I just woke up at three and couldn't get back to sleep. And so I, I know I had a sermon to write. And as I'm sleep writing, that's a, that's a technical term. Some people sleepwalk, sometimes pastors sleep right. Um, you know, I'm just trying to, just my mind's just churning. I'm, I'm very much tempted to complain and to grumble. And then I'm, I'm on this passage thinking, you know, God's a, God's a big God. He's, he's in control of everything. He's, he, he's made it so that I should get up right now. He's, he's got this. He's got me. He's a lot bigger than the real but rather small difficulties that I'm facing right now. He's got this. It's good to be involved in your everyday life and to live it all out. That's where God put you. Of course, he wants you to run the race of your life for his glory. Follow Jesus in the ordinary. But you also need to remember that behind that ordinary is the God of all power who can burst in at any moment who, who does, and holds everything together. So, you know, when you think about maybe even right now, that last minute gift that you have to buy and wrap or the menu that you're, it's going around in your mind or, or that piece of admin from work that you weren't able to get finished that's still on the burner or maybe, you know, what your team's going to be playing where. And the, remember that if God were to show up this minute, all those things would just drop to the floor. We would just be overwhelmed with who he is. And there are times, 
in our busyness to seek those moments where we're quiet before the Lord, where we take everything and our worries, and we don't stuff them down, we don't suppress them, but we put them down before them and say, Lord, this is what's big for us, but we know how big you are. Show us your glory. Let me see you. Seek the Lord in those moments. I confess right now in our morning and evening worship as a family, it's, I, we have a toddler, been pretty busy, and I thought, you know, there's times that I'm just doing it, and it's really hard to seek the Lord. In fact, as I'm singing very familiar songs, I, I have all these other thoughts running through my head. I, it, and then last night, Sam was given a Mike Wyskowski figure by, by Mr. Rich, and he was on the hymnal, and as he's turning the page, Mr. Wright, Mike's about to tear the hymnal, and I say, that's why I'm distracted. Right? There's some, there's some things going on, but I realize, Lord, I'm not stopping and focusing on your glory. And so you pray that. You know, Lord, when, when you're supervising a busy toddler, or when your adult child is going through a difficult, hard time, when your friend is in the hospital, you can stop and remember how big God is and say, Lord, show me your glory. Show up and give me the proper perspective of life and to know that you are in control of all things. Well, angels are glorious beings. And there has been, I just want to take a little bit of a side note here, because there has been, throughout history, a temptation to worship them. And in fact, if one were to show itself in full splendor right now, I think we would be tempted to worship them. And from how Daniel shows the angels, you could even say biblically, is this angel God? Or is it God-like? I want you to keep your your, your finger in Daniel 10 and flip over to Revelation chapter 1. That's, that's page 1028 in your pew Bible. Page 1028. Because there, John is encountered, he, he's confronted by the resurrected Jesus. And he talks about the splendor of who Jesus was. And I'll just read a few verses. And kids, tell me if you hear anything similar. John hears a voice that he should write down the testimony. And then in verse 12, he turns to see who this great voice is. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Now, what's striking about that? Well, some of the way that Jesus, the risen Son of God, is described is the exact way that pictures of Daniel for angels. You might confuse the two, right? It can be even more confusing that sometimes... God in the Old Testament did come down as an angelic figure or a human figure, the angel of the Lord. You think about the commander of the army of the Lord in Joshua 5, I believe. Or, or the, the one of the three visitors who came to Abraham. It was a picture of who God was. This is very interesting because God says, I will not give my glory to another. So what's going on there? Well, let's flip back to um, Daniel chapter 10, page 748, if you lost your place. And we see here, though, that it can't be the angel. It can't be God. It has to be a messenger, probably Gabriel. For, first of all, 
He's the one who's commanded. He says, I was sent to you. Right? I'm acting as a servant. He's clearly acting on the authority of someone else. Also, he's uh, not all-powerful like God. Think about this. If another angel, the prince of Persia, could resist him for three weeks, does that sound like God? God can't be resisted. How could the prince of Persia hold out against God? He, God could destroy evil with, an, with a single word, but he decides to work through his angels and his servants. And so what this tells us here is that angels are incredibly beautiful and they can even be described in some ways as God are because they reflect his glory. But they are still servants. And in fact, it's important to realize that they have their limitations. In, in the daily Bible reading, we're not going to turn there, but you can look at Hebrews 1, where the author at that time realized that people were tempted to worship angels and spends a whole chapter showing why Jesus is better than the angels. And he would say, why would you want to worship them when you should be worshiping Jesus? In fact, in a different book, back to Revelation, the Apostle John is so struck by the beauty of an angel that he tries to worship him and he is rebuked. In Revelation 19, verse 10, it says, Then I fell down at this angel's feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. And so while you see angels are impressive and they are glorious and they're majestic, you can't worship them. Don't don't, don't pray to them. And also don't try to use them in a way to influence the world around God. They're... There are people who do that today in the way that they pray. In fact, I was I was looking for a prayer of confession uh, for a, a yeah prayer of confession online. I didn't find one, but I found two prayers people praying to or about angels, and I, I cut them down. But I'm just going to give you a, a, a snippet of it to see how sometimes people relate to angels. The first one is a Roman Catholic prayer, and I don't know how much this exemplifies all of Roman Catholicism. So I'm not saying all Catholics would pray this. But this was on a Roman Catholic site. Listen to how they would pray. Prayer to a guardian angel. Bless the Lord, all, all you his angels, you who are mighty in strength and do his will. So far, so good. Intercede for me at the throne of God and by your unceasing watchfulness, protect me in every danger of soul and body. O oh, all you holy angels and archangels, thrones and dominions, principalities and powers and virtues of heaven, cherubim and seraphim, and especially you, my dear guardian angel, intercede for me and obtain for me thy special favor. I ask now and then you ask for whatever you want. Well, we're supposed to pray to Jesus, right? You're, you're, you're missing the point there. There's another person, I don't know if you've heard of him, I only heard of him vaguely, his name is Creflo Dollar. And he would be, I think you would classify him in the word of faith movement or as popularly known health and wealth. And again, I've edited his prayer, but it's a prayer that you can pray, he says. Because I am the righteousness of God, angels have been sent to minister to me. They speak to the word of God, they respond to the word of God which I speak. Therefore, I loose angels with the words of my mouth. I say today, let the Lord be magnified who takes pleasure in my prosperity. In the name of Jesus, I command the angels to bring to me prosperity in my spirit, in my home, in my body, in my family life, and in my finances. There's actually quite a bit wrong in that prayer. Um, it thinks that you should avoid suffering. It's arrogant to think that you can command the angels like Jesus. And it tries to turn glorified Glorious angels into a glorified genie to serve you. 
right? Um, you don't see Daniel doing either of these things when, you, when he comes face to face with an angel. And so just think about this. Don't pray to angels for either for protection or prosperity. Worship God. Pray to Jesus, your high priest. At the same time, though, we shouldn't ignore angels. You should be comforted that God has his angels to protect you in the world. And when you pray to him, he may very just well send them to deliver you in a time of difficulty. And one of the encouragements in this passage is that Daniel is a weak old man. In this vision, he's not only is he's old, but he can't even stand before these angels. And the people of God have been oppressed by the Babylonians and the Persians, and it says the Greeks are coming. Well, you and I are pretty weak today, too, when you think about it. Which, which one of you thinks that you can stand up and say, yeah, I am going to stem the tide of blatant self-worship that is sweeping across our nation? Yeah, I got that. I'm going to change it, right? Most of us are just gasping for breath. But the truth is that God's servants fought for his people, Israel, and he fights for you, too should be kept in mind and you should be comforted. I'm going to quote a paragraph from, that I really appreciated from a commentary. He says on this, The great nations that dominated puny Israel have powerful spiritual forces behind them that supernaturally give them strength, purpose, and victory. But what does little Israel have? Some puny flunky who cannot hold his own? No. Israel has Michael the archangel, the captain of the host of Yahweh. The celestial realm looks very different from the terrestrial. Although Israel is weak and small, her angel is great and powerful. God's forces fight for you. Well, let's bring this 500 years forward then to the time of Jesus. And I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 2, which is page 857 in the Pew Bible. What difference then does it make that angels... Announce the birth of Jesus. Well, once again, you see how glorious they are, right? Chapter 2, verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And suddenly there's a whole host of angels. Host just means an army. There's an army of angels praising God. What difference does this make? Well, first of all, their glory brings dignity to the occasion of Jesus' coming. God's glorious angels fought for Israel, and now they are announcing the news of baby Jesus. It gives a dignity to the otherwise humble, even shameful arrival of this unassuming baby. How do we ascribe honor today? Uh, worth. Sometimes it's a police escort. Sometimes the, our precedent is escorted for protection, but also there is a sense of, when you see a police escort, this person is important. He or she has, um, the, they stand out. In fact, when I got, when I came back from my last deployment, I believe we got off the, we got off the, out of, we flew into Philadelphia, and then we were going to uh, redeploy, out process, at Fort Dix for a couple weeks. And there was a police escort for our two or three little buses going right down I-95 and, and going into to, uh, New Jersey, it, I got to admit, it was pretty cool. You know, kind of felt like doing a little wave there. Um, fortunately, they, it was not rush hour. I do not think they would have given us a police escort if it was rush hour. There was just a little bit. But they were, it was basically the country's way of saying, 
We're thankful for your service. If you've ever seen a fighter jet fly over at, at an occasion, whether, whether it's a, a sporting event or elsewhere, and you feel, you feel that jet going over, it's saying, this is important. Well, on that humble night, God sends his angelic hosts to light up the sky. It's as if he's saying, this might look like nothing, the birth of a peasant, but this is the moment history has been waiting for. This is the birth of the true king of kings. And Jesus' humble birth is given its proper place by the angelic honor guard, which announces his coming. And so this Christmas celebration, I want you to notice the angels. As you read the scripture story, as you look at the decorations around and in your house, and think about how their glory tells the importance of the birth of Jesus. And when you sing the praises of Jesus, realize that you are joining in the the choruses of this angelic choir. And yet at the same time, as you see these angels in all their glory, remember, the angels have limitations. God did not send an angel to the manger to save humanity. He sent his son. At the most important time, it's God himself who becomes human. And Michael and Gabriel cannot do that. Paul says in Galatians, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. The central point of history is not about angels winning the day, but God coming to earth. And in fact, at one point, In his ministry, when Jesus is casting out demons, Satan's minions, his opponent scoffs, saying, oh, you're only doing that by Satan's power. And Jesus makes this bold statement. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusts and divides his spoils. Jesus is saying that there there were angels, there was demonic oppression over all the other nations of the world, but I have come, I have defeated that to bring and save not only Israel, but people from all grips of Satan as I come. That's what Christmas is about. It's a glorious rescue that angels can't do. Christmas, in the biblical sense, Advent, celebrating Jesus' coming then, is not merely some nice pleasantries or best wishes for a new year. It's the thunderous declaration that God has come to make all things right. Do you know that we need to be rescued today, even on the eve of 2020? I'm a pastor. I'm a chaplain. I'm a person. I have heard other people's struggles and their sins, and I know mine. I've listened to young soldiers who can't make sense of life. I know the brokenness, the sadness, and the sin and rebellion in in my own heart. Each one of us has hurts and regrets. Each one of us has pain caused by others. Each one of us needs a Savior. Jesus came for our sin. He came to strike that final blow that Michael and his armies could not. And so let me ask you, this Christmas, what are you celebrating? There's the family and and the friends and the freedom to do what we want and the food 
and our culture, and that's, that's good. But is your Christmas celebration a, a little bit like the angel that I showed in the beginning? You know, it's, it's nice, it's pleasant, but it really can't do anything for you. There is a type of Christmas celebration in our country that is the same with the baby Jesus. He's, he's cute, he's lovable, he, he maybe gives you some nice thoughts to, to be happy and to inspire you and to do better and to be nicer, but other than that, you've got to run your own life and call your own shots. He can't do much for you. But that's not the real truth of Christmas. You see the real message when the angels announce that the king has arrived, the real king. And the baby grows up and gives his life to redeem a people for himself. But the only way his sacrifice to save you works is if you surrender to him as king. If you admit that you are weak and you are helpless and that you bow the knee and you give your life and you put your faith in him and you follow him. Is that you this season? Is that you? This year, look to the angels. Follow them to the manger. See them in all their glory. And then worship their king. Please pray with me. Father, would you open our eyes to see that you are greater than the one who is in the world? Would you make us fervent in prayer? don't have to go through any intermediaries or second, any detours through angels or anyone else, but we can come boldly into your throne. And may we receive you with worship and adoration this Christmas, seeing how glorious you were as a little baby come to give your life for us in the manger. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.